0: I just didn't like the way that he tried to shove so many songs into the concert that you felt gypped on every song. So keep that in mind. If you have a big catalog, don't try to fit them all in. Do each one to the best of your ability and make it a great experience. And then people won't, they won't leave saying, wow, I felt like it was just, it was, it was almost like you felt like somebody put your cd player on random play and then they were going to the next one after halfway through the song it was kind of irritating welcome to the female entrepreneur musician podcast with brie noble Hey, hey, this is Bree Noble, and I am so glad you're tuned in to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast today, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. Today, we are talking about how to improve your live show, how to improve your connection and your audience enjoyment. And I thought this would be a great topic because today on the Profitable Musician Summit, we're in day two of the summit. We just kicked it off. And as I'm releasing this episode, we are releasing a whole slew of presentations from experts on day two as well as on day seven about live shows. So again, if you're not signed up for the Profitable Musician Summit or you're listening to this later, definitely go over to ProfitableMusicianSummit.com and get signed up. And we're gonna jump right in to this episode of Indie Interactive that's very timely for the summit and also for something that happened to me in my life and a concert that I attended that I'll talk about here on Indie Interactive. We're gonna be talking about three concert tips that will help improve your audience connection and enjoyment of your concerts. And this is nothing to do with musicianship. Like obviously, our musicianship is always going to help improve this, but There are things that we can do in our concerts that have nothing to do with musicianship that can really increase our connection with our audience, the enjoyment that they have with our concert, and maybe things that you're not doing or you haven't been paying enough attention to in your concerts. So that's what we're talking about today. I want to say hi to those of you that are showing up right on time. Good morning to Annie and Jesse and Molly is here. Great to have you guys. I had a birthday this last weekend and I went to a concert on Friday night and this kind of prompted me doing this topic. Um, Not that it wasn't a good concert, but I saw so many things that could be improved. And with somebody who's getting paid as much as he is for a show And, you know, a show that's sold out, I just feel like he could probably be playing bigger venues, um, even though he's a much, much older artist, because if he improved many of these things in his show, it would be even better. And so I thought, of course, like I'm always having my thinking cap on when I'm places thinking how I can get some lessons from this to help you guys out. And I'm sure my husband is probably thinking as I'm telling him during the intermission about how I'm going to, you know, talk about this on my Facebook live and how there's so many things that I would improve. And he's like, can't you just enjoy a concert? <laughs> and like, um, no, I'm always thinking about these things in the background. So that is what we're going to be talking about today on Indie Interactive, which is actually really hard to say. I'm finding good morning, Sarah. Um, okay, so let's jump in to our three lessons that, uh, I came up with from this concert. And, um, just to give you some context for those that don't know, I went to a concert this weekend, um, by Gordon Lightfoot. So he is, if you don't know who he is, he's Canadian. He's a seventies, um, singer, songwriter, folk artist, and i i grew up on his music i loved his music i had this double cd set that i bought like in the early 90s that i listened to all the time um i just that's the kind of music that i really love even though i was like a kid when he was out you know i wasn't going to his shows or anything but my parents were playing his music in in our house so that's how i got into gordon lightfoot um so if you don't know, Gordon Lightfoot is 79 years old. <laughs> there was lots of conversation within the, the concert venue. People were looking up on the internet, you know, how old he was and stuff. And if you've seen him lately, like he's clearly 79, like you're thinking, how is this guy performing? So the reason that I want to talk about things that aren't about musicianship is that a lot of this concert was About nostalgia, right? A lot of people were going because they love his music. They love him. They have nostalgia about him. And, you know, he's 79. So he does not sing like he used to sing in the 70s, 80s, or probably even the 90s. Like he has lost a lot of his vocal ability. So he sings the songs and you recognize them. You recognize some of the tonality of his voice and he's actually sings very well in tune, but he doesn't have the breath support. He doesn't have, you know, the strength of voice and all that. So, but I didn't want it to be about that because I felt like that wasn't the issue. If he had improved all these other things, it would have been a really amazing concert despite the fact that he's 79 and his voice is not what it used to be. So it's not about age. It's not about vocal ability. He had some amazing musicians backing him up. So, you know, he had a great band. So it's not about that. It's about these other things that he could have improved that I wanted to point out because I thought they could be really helpful to you guys. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about is about kind of like, positioning on the stage and making things engaging and interesting physically. So the first thing I want to ask you guys is, do you think about this when you are planning your concerts? Do you think about where you're going to be standing during each song? If you're going to move, if you're going to change up kind of how the staging looks on the stage every once in a while, if you're going to be sitting and then standing and, you know, maybe walking some of the time. Um, A lot of what I'm talking about right now is stuff that Tom Jackson talks about a lot. And I love Tom Jackson because he, you know, he's very versed in all of this stuff. He worked, he's worked with tons of really great bands and solo artists. And so he's got a lot to say about this stuff. And I learned a lot from him back in the day when I was performing all the time, that really changed the way that I was able to interact with the audience. And a lot of this came up when I was at the concert. So Let me know in the chat, do you guys think about all this stuff before you go on stage? Have you kind of done a little bit of blocking? Have you at least thought about, you know, what the changes are going to be like between songs and, you know, where you're going to go, if you're going to move, if you're going to not see my problem with what he did, he stood in the exact, literally (laughs) the exact same spot the entire time. Now I understand he's 79, right? He probably doesn't want to move. He probably, you know, is not going to be swaying and rocking and all that stuff. But he did have to switch guitars in between songs. And he did have to grab a drink and stuff like that. And he could have moved even just like halfway across the stage occasionally and changed his position. I literally got like a crick in my neck from turning my head like this because we were sitting far on the right of that. We were kind of close up, but we were far on the right. So he was on this side of the stage. And I literally got a crick in my neck halfway through the concert because I was like this the whole time looking at him because he was always on stage. Right. And so I thought, well, at least maybe at the intermission, he's going to move. He's going to be on the other side. Nope. Same spot. Like literally by the time I got to our hotel room, I'm like I'm asking my husband that I, I really needed a neck rub because my neck was like stuck in that position. <laughs> so. I mean, the most basic thing is to at least move to different parts of the stage. So no matter where you are in the concert hall, people can, you know, get some of a good view of you. They can get some of a, you know, different experience of how they're seeing you and experiencing you. He could have had his band members. I mean, there was this amazing guitar player in his band. He could have come out and done his solos out in front. You know, there's so many things they could have done without making Gordon feel like he had to move a lot. You know, even if his band members had like moved around him, it would have helped, but they didn't. It was just like, you may as well have taken a a snapshot of what the stage looked like and it didn't change. So that was a little frustrating to me. So I want to know from you guys in the chat, what you guys do in your shows to make it look interesting to think about your audience's experience with you know where they're looking on the stage and that type of thing um Annie says Tom Jackson is great he's absolutely awesome he's got if you guys don't know he's he's got like some boot camps that you can go to live but he also has a great book i remember back in the day i had like his audio series which was really helpful too so um you can get that kind of stuff from Tom Jackson and it's very inexpensive. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, but if you just, if you just put Tom Jackson into Amazon, you'll be able to find the book that he has. Um, Loretta Lynn at age 84. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I get that like you're 84, right? You can't move, but he could have, done something with his other people on stage. They were all in their fifties from what I could tell. So, or maybe early sixties, but they could totally have moved. They could have made it interesting. Um, Like I said, there was some parts where there was a guitar player that was amazing. Like he was either playing electric or he was playing acoustic like just this amazing like sometimes he was playing like a flamenco style and it was just like really intricate and stuff if he could have come out more out front and and just made it more interesting for us it would have it would have helped the fact that gordon didn't move um so jesse says she stays in the same position because i'm tethered to a mic stand yeah that can that can get you stuck i mean what you can do is actually I mean, you can make it part of the, you know, the talking part in between. You can actually like talk while you're moving and like actually physically get up, move, take that mic stand to somewhere else on the stage and say, hi, you guys, I wanted to make sure I was connecting with you guys, you know, just make it really casual and not make it weird that you have to move your mic stand. Just kind of do it while you're telling a story. Um, let's see. She does dance and play drums. So that is great. And I have seen, you know, some footage of your performances and you're absolutely moving. You just are moving in one place. So you might want to think about how you can do a few transitions between songs where you actually go and stand in a different place or maybe one song you actually take the mic off the stand and you go walk somewhere else and you sing that song from there and you don't have to do it all the time. Then you can go back and go back to your stand again and That would be totally fine, but just changing that up a little bit. Um, let's see. Molly says she makes blocking notes and costume changes. Wow, you I really want to see your show, Molly, because it sounds, it sounds elaborate. (laughs) Awesome. Yes. And you she writes it on her set list, which is so important because when you're in the moment, you're not thinking like, oh yeah, what did I say I was gonna do between these songs? Like putting notes there that help you is great. Um Oh, Beth says she'll post the, the website link later. I think she's saying for Tom Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And like I said, he has a book on Amazon. That's really good. Um, let's see. I'm just kind of scrolling. Um, Cause I have kind of three main points here. So I wanted to go through what you guys said after each one to see if there's anything we wanted to discuss. Um, if anything else comes up about Questions about blocking and how you can make it visually interesting. Definitely put those in here. Let's see. Jesse says she uses little props and band instruments. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hand instruments. Absolutely. That can make it interesting, too. So at least you're definitely doing, like, even if you don't move, you're doing stuff that's different. Like, literally, he was standing there singing with his guitar the entire time. Nothing changed. And again, he's older. But he could have made it more interesting, or at least he could have done some other blocking. Um, So Christiane says she performs with loops and a keyboard. Um, In some parts of my set, I can leave the looper going and grab the vocal mic. That's great. Because I know I'm a keyboardist, right? So I'm kind of stuck behind my keyboard a lot too. And sometimes I made the choice, even though I don't love tracks, I made the choice to use a track on one song or two songs, depending on how long the show was and go out and stand in front of the audience. Cause I don't like being stuck behind my keyboard the whole time. Yeah. Even Beth says, even pivoting to, to move your body and change like the way you are oriented toward different parts of the house is important too. And again, making notes, like, I mean, it may seem silly, like to make a note that said, you know, halfway through the song, turn to the left or whatever, but you won't remember while you're performing. And if you've thought out these things, if you've watched yourself on video and thought, man, I really need to do something here, then making those notes can be important. I'm going to try costume changes in our longer shows. That would be fun. At least if you had like an intermission, even you could do a costume change. That's cool. So Annie says that she she plays a frame drums and she uses that on some songs. So that definitely increases the visual difference because she's doing something a little bit different versus just, you know, playing a guitar or singing or, um, whatever on the other songs. So that is, uh, those are some great suggestions on what to do to improve your, um, visual interest during the show. So the next one I want to talk about is your playlist. So, you know, first I will explain, what I didn't love about what I loved and what I didn't love about his playlist. And you guys can think about how you can apply this to yourself. So the problem with what happened there is that he has a huge catalog, right? He has years and years of songs that he's written and he's got some that are super popular that people know. There are some that are kind of like deep cuts that people know that are his big fans and so he wants to include all of those, which is great. But the problem is he was literally trying to include all of them. And so because he did this, he made every song shorter. And he even mentioned this in the show. He's like, you may notice these songs are shorter. It's because we have so many songs in the catalog and we want to include as many as possible. And I, while I appreciated that, I felt chipped on the songs that I wanted to hear That suddenly were super short. I mean, his songs are not that long anyway. His songs are, you know, like the mid three minute mark. And he was shortening them to like two minutes because he wanted to get more songs in. And I did feel very frustrated by that because I felt like it would have been a better experience if he could have done fewer songs and done each song to its fullest And then it's not like I would have left the concert and say, oh, man, he didn't play this song and this song. Now I'm upset. It wouldn't have felt that way. It would have felt like, wow, the songs that I did get were really well done and they were, you know, really, I really enjoyed them. And, you know, he could have made them a little more interesting, too. And that, you know, he could have put solos in there and stuff like he did on a few of the songs. But I just didn't like the way that he put tried to tried to shove so many songs into the concert that you felt gypped on every song. So keep that in mind. If you have a big catalog, you know, th- try, don't try to fit them all in. Do each one to the best of your ability and make it a great experience. And then people won't they won't leave saying, Wow, I felt like it was just, it was, it was almost like you felt like somebody put your CD player on random play and then they were going to the next one after halfway through the song. It was kind of irritating. (laughs) So, um, and as far as like what songs he played. So if I were him, what I would have done knowing that I have a really big audience and you know, that I've got this place sold out like communicate with the theater, try to maybe, you know, contact all these people i don't know if that would be possible but um you know send out an email and say hey which songs would you like to hear like you know a month before he shows up and see if he can get a a well curated playlist of the ones that the most people want to hear um because and, and you know we have more ability to do that as indie artists being more in contact with our individual fans and i know some of you guys are doing that but you know, then if like when someone yells out a song during the performance and he like cannot play it because he hasn't practiced it, you know, he can say, Hey, I, you know, I did a survey to find out what you guys wanted. And I just picked the the most popular ones. Like definitely next time I can try, I can try to do this one. So I think that will help. Um, the other thing is like the way you place your most popular songs. So if you've got songs that people really love or, You know, it's going to get people singing along and stuff. Be sure and and place those throughout your show instead of kind of grouping them together or putting them too near the beginning. Because I felt like by the time it was halftime, like most of the songs that I knew he had already played. So I'm like, okay, what am I looking forward to? You know, which songs has he not done yet? So I kind of would have placed like my most popular songs closer to the end To still build that anticipation, like, well, I know he's still going to play, you know, sundown, or I know, you know, he hasn't done Carefree Highway yet. So I can't wait till that one comes on. But he he kind of load front loaded a lot of those, which I didn't like. And also the song that he came out playing on the very first song was not a song I knew. And I thought that was a bit of a mistake, too. So you know, think about the songs that you have that are the most popular that are songs that really get people excited during a show and try to space those out. Um, so if you guys have any comments about that, like, how do you plan your playlist? How do you decide what you're going to do when, and do you kind of like, do you, do you space out those ones that are popular? Do you switch up whether you're doing like a slow song or a fast song or, You know, songs that are maybe a little bit different genres, um, you know, and not kind of placing all those together. It it all kind of fits together with like this amazing puzzle that goes together with what songs you're going to be moving, what songs you're going to play different instruments or do something different visually like we talked about before. And then what songs are popular, whether they're fast or slow, like it's all this big puzzle. And then the third piece, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, is what songs you're going to tell stories about and how you're going to space those out. Because You're not going to want to tell a story after every song. So you want to space out, you know, which songs are going to be your big storytelling moments within like this whole puzzle of how it fits together. So I want to see what you guys are saying about how you do all of this, um, this planning beforehand with your (laughs) playlisting. Yes. I think Gordon could use some work with Tom Jackson. Um, you know, he, he probably thinks, well, heck I'm 79. I just, am happy to get out here and play for, to a sold out crowd. And, you know, he's not probably not putting a whole lot more work into the way that he is performing, but I think it's a wasted opportunity. Like he could, he could probably even gain more fans or sell more music and stuff like that. If he just worked a little bit on his stage show. Oh, so uh, Annie is saying about the costume changes. You can just add a scarf or a hat, which is cool. I like that idea. Just, just a little bit of change, you know, Um, Molly says taking video of our live shows was crucial. For crafting a more visually um, cohesive show, yes, that is so great. And it, it, let me just say, it takes bravery to watch your own video, right? It's not always fun. You look at yourself and go, "Oh, I look so stupid. Why did I do that? What am I doing with my hands?" You know, you you get a little obsessive about it. So um, it's like watching the the game footage when you're on a sports team. You know, you get to see all of your mistakes too, but if you can, if you can, you know, get your big girl pants on and, and watch it. I think it's so worth it. Less is more has real significance. I can be guilty of trying to squeeze in too many songs. I have totally been there, Beth. I have done that too. It's so tempting because you love all your songs. Like you, they're like your babies and you don't want to give them up, but it's just like kids. Like if you had 20 kids, none of them would probably come out very good because you wouldn't be able to spend much time on each of them. So, you know, think about pouring your time into those 10 songs that are going to be amazing. You want to take them on a journey with each song and you want to get them into it and get them grooving or get them like focused on the lyrics or whatever it is that the song is supposed to do. And you don't want to like cut them off, you know, from their experience. So again, like less is more in that fewer songs done really well is a much better idea he, So so said, beth says he could have asked for an applause meter several times during to help audience um decide between two choices yeah he could have done that like he did prepare a lot of songs so he could and and what's interesting too is he said something that actually really irritated me he said you know this song we only do every few, it only comes up on the playlist every few shows. And tonight happens to be the night. And it got me thinking, does he have other show songs prepared that I want to hear that he's not doing tonight because quote, it only comes up on the playlist every three shows. Like, why does he have a revolving playlist? Why not just get, you know, 20 songs that are amazing, do them really well and do them everywhere. There's no reason that you need to spend all this time preparing songs that you only do once every three shows. (laughs) Yes. Also good to save one of your best songs for the encore. Yes. And he didn't do that either. Thank you for bringing that up. The song he did for the encore was like a song that nobody knew. And I was, I felt very frustrated by that as well. Like it sounds like I'm really dissing this concert. I, I actually had a really great time, but there were so many things that could have been so, so much better. Um. Yeah. We alternate tempos, moods, and keys for our sets. Absolutely. That's, that's a great thing to be thinking about when you're setting up your playlist. Oh, Catherine makes a really good point. I know which pieces of mine sell CDs. Yes. And I schedule them in the first half so I can mention CDs and get sales at intermission. That's really smart. Yeah. And if you, if you then have one of those that you do at the end as well, um, then that can help you mention it at the end. She also has a good mix of original and standards. Now, Catherine is a fiddle player, so she can play a lot of standards that people might already know. So if you're doing covers, like definitely you can can throw those in. Um, again, like if you're doing covers, don't feel like you need to do a lot, you know, do one cover per half and do it really, really well and make it totally yours and it will go over much better than feeling like you need to do a bunch of covers because they're songs people know. Yeah. So Molly says, we always try to have somewhere to go come out high energy, but give the set an arc. Yes. It's, it's, it's like a story arc, right? It's like, you're, you're telling a story with your set. And I, I think about that too, when I create playlists for podcasts, like I really do think about, the story arc of this playlist. Like we start off and it's, you know, very kind of high energy or engaging. And, you know, then we kind of slow it down and do a little acoustic and then we have a piano ballad and then we kind of decide, you know, we're going to bring up the energy again with a rock. And, you know, you may notice that with my playlists on um, women of substance, and I've actually been really complimented over the years on my playlisting for radio and podcasts, because I think about that just like it's a concert. It's an, it's a story arc. That's a great point, Molly. Okay. So the last thing we're going to talk about, as I alluded to is we're going to talk about storytelling and why it's so important for us to tell stories throughout. And what I say here is be a prolific and, um, engaging storyteller. So when I say prolific, like this is what happened with Gordon. Okay. The whole entire first half, he did not tell one story. He was, again, probably trying to get through all of the songs in his catalog. And I felt totally gypped. Like I wanted to know the stories behind these songs. Why did he create them? where did he come up with the idea for rainy day people? You know, what the heck does sundown mean anyway? I don't understand that song. Explain it to me. You know, he did not tell any stories. Plus he had some very awkward stage banter, which like he hadn't thought it out in advance, right? And so that was kind of odd too. Um, the the one good thing that he did is like, obviously we're thinking, man, this guy is old, right? How is he still up there performing? So the first thing he did when he came out and, and after he sang his first song is... um he said something like the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated, right? That Mark Twain quote. And we all laugh. Like that was funny. Like it put us at ease. So if there's anything about you, when you are performing that you feel uncomfortable about, or you feel like people might be questioning, if you put them at ease by saying something about it in jest like that, I think it really does help. So for example, if I had had to perform when I had smashed my face in last fall (laughs) and I had like a huge like gash in my nose, like I probably would have said something about that at the beginning or told a story about it and, and, you know, made it a little bit like lighthearted, even though I smashed my face in. like, I could have joked about it now because it was over. But I think just being able to talk about that type of thing, in front of them without feeling uncomfortable about it it just kind of clears the air like you know they're probably thinking like man how is that guy even performing he looks like he's about to you know fall over he's so frail so him talking about that him like he made some other jokes about it too which he made a couple vertigo jokes which i thought were hilarious because you know we're all thinking it right so um if you've got something like that 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 you're feeling uncomfortable about, you think the audience may be wondering about, then just go ahead and like put it out there. Totally fine. Um, But as far as stories, like he didn't tell enough stories. Finally, in the second half, when he did The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, he finally told a story. And I'm like, finally, he's getting this right. And he told a great story about you know the whole experience of what happened with the Edmund Fitzgerald and you know all of the um, you know the disaster and how many families were affected and you know all that stuff, and then he talked about how he had created a a fund to help all those families a scholarship fund, and he was still doing it today and that was awesome like then I was super excited to hear the song, and I felt like I had some background and I had some context and It just kept me thinking, man, there's so much wasted opportunity in this concert, because if he had told even like two more stories like that, especially one in the first half, it would have really, really helped. So make sure that you've thought out what stories you want to tell, um, what songs they go with. And, you know, I know some of you are masters at this, right? Like, you know, Beth's whole concert is a signature concert, which means she's telling stories related to her songs. That's like half of what the concert is. I know, you know, Jessie does a lot of this in her shows because they're somewhat educational and she's telling about the background of the songs, you know, that's their style. And some of you may have not thought about this yet. So I want you to start thinking about how you can create that interest, that connection, not just with you, which it does. It will. I mean, now I feel like I know a little bit more about him and I understand why he wrote that song because he was affected by it. It was in his area, you know, he's from Ontario, so it was not far away. It was a big deal in his area when it happened in 1975. So, you know, that will help connect you with the audience, but also will help connect them with your song. It will make them think, oh man, that story was so cool. I want to you know, go buy a CD now because I really loved hearing that story and it helped me connect with this song and I want to hear it some more. And so it can only help the connection between you and your audience and your audience and your songs and it can help you. And then, you know, after that, like if you happen to tell a great story like that, and then, you know, it's going to be time for intermission, you can say like, Hey, if you, you know, if you love this, this, this song of, you know, about the Edmund Fitzgerald, or if you want to help out the, you know, scholarship foundation that I set up, you can go buy a CD. It's this, it's on this CD, or you can go buy this, you know, bundle that includes this CD or something. And that will give them even more reason to want to do it. So those are my three things, my three takeaways from the concert I went to that I thought would be really helpful for you guys. First one was paying attention to um, how you look visually on stage if you are doing things that are add visual interest, whether it's moving or costume changes or just positioning or changing up what instruments you're playing, um, anything like that. Secondly was playlisting, making sure that your playlist um, is really going to engage your audience. Don't try to stuff too many songs in there. Make sure it's, you know, it's got... It's got varied. It's got like a story arc, as Molly said. And then finally, storytelling. How can you include that and very strategically into your show? So I'd love to hear from you guys. What are your takeaways? What do you need to work on in your own shows? Um, and this this could be any kind of show. This could be everything from a house concert to a, you know, this was like a 400 person theater Um, You know, it could be a bigger, it could be an outdoor festival. It could be anything like it, it matters no matter what the venue is that you include this stuff. And the reason I want to talk about this partly because it was fresh when I was at this concert, but partly because the summit is starting obviously tomorrow, the profitable musician summit. And on day two, we have a ton of, um, people talking about live performances, And, you know, so we've got Lisa Lynn talking about self-produced concerts. We've got, um, um, Tiamo De Vittori talking about signature concerts or, um, keynote concerts as he calls them. Um, and then like, actually on day three, we have Shannon Curtis, who's talking about house concerts. And then we have a whole day further on in the summit day seven, where we've got people talking about touring and private parties, and things like that, and all this stuff applies. So I wanted to make sure that you had a little bit of um, a little bunch of things in your tool belt that you can use when you start doing these concerts. So Jesse says, I need to work on editing. (laughs) No need to tell everything in one show. Yes, I kind of need to work on that too. Um, I tend to talk too much, when I'm performing and it's okay when I'm doing a signature concert, because like I said, half of it is talking, but if I'm more doing a concert, I do tend to talk too much. So actually rehearsing what you're going to say or writing it out in short form or something. So, you know, that you're, you know, that's generally what you're going to say. Cause if I start ad libbing, sometimes I'll say stupid stuff or, you know, stuff that I, that, that's filler. That's not necessary. Um, and so if I've thought about it in advance, it's more, it's much more concise. Um, you can tell a story about a cover song too. Good point. And I know that Jesse does a lot of this in their performances because they're, they're somewhat like educational or about the, the background of the music. Um, Beth says I sold a CD because I shared a story surrounding a song recently. Wasn't even trying to sell a CD, just trying to add value. Well, that's the best way to sell, isn't it? By adding value. Perfect. Catherine says, well, you're scrolling so fast. Catherine says I need to work on the moving part. Yeah. And I think, I mean, unless you've really done a good job with scripting this out for yourself, I think this is the area where we all fall the most short is thinking about the visual aspects of moving. Um, Then she says the playlist and storytelling are both going really well. Awesome. Annie says all of these things make it more fun for us too. Yes, they do. They absolutely do. You feel really empowered and you feel like you're putting on a good show and not just getting up there and performing songs. And that was my biggest problem is that I felt like he was just getting up there like, okay, let's run through my catalog. Like, No, this is an experience. This is a concert. Do you like the idea of starting with a song and then doing your intro? You know, I do. I do like the idea of starting with a song, um, especially if there's someone else introducing you. So I used to do it that way. I had a little introduction that people would read if I was performing at an event. And then as soon as I got on stage, I would sing. And I think that that, that goes over really well. I think it kind of slows the energy down if you get up there and then start talking. It just, it really depends on if you've got an intro or not. If nobody's introing you and you need to start your own show, then you probably do need to say a little something, but it could be really short. All right. This is awesome. Thank you guys so much. This has been so fun. Um, I thought this was a really timely topic and really important to discuss as we're going into the summit. And we're going to be talking about so many great ways that you can perform live. We just need to tighten up our stage show a little bit to make it even better, even more effective and help us sell more music and get more people on our email list now go out and make great music connect with your fans and grow your business female entrepreneur musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com with editing by jen eads of 317 sound design and music by stella ronson